This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I am ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best yell. This morning, we're reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, starting in verse 19. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now here he is being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers. And I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chris. You may be seated. That's not too bad Bible reading there. I kind of felt like it was a wild west, like, open your Bibles. <laughs> I thought he did awesome. I might get him back up, put a six-shooter on him. <laughs> Don't ever say that was awkward. He did awesome. I turned that boy loose. <laughs> Again, thank you so much for, uh, for your love and kindness. So let's jump right in. Six weeks ago, we started this thing called People. I've done my best to be fair and uh, hopefully meaningful. Today, we'll end it. So we're landing the plane today. And... Uh, it may sting a bit, and, but I hope it challenges you. I hope it causes you to see maybe your life in a different light. Here's what I know. I'll just kind of talk from my heart for a few moments, and then we'll jump right in. The thing I know about this graphic we put up is, as I say every week, that it's very difficult to bring the reality of Jesus that's in heaven to a place of reality to us here on the earth. He's just left as a portrait, a picture, a historical figure. And the one thing I know about us in the South, I grew up in the South, so I think I can speak to it. We do religion really well. And by that, we know the songs, we know the creeds, we know the amens and the hallelujahs, we know how to smile, we know how to dress. But the reality is, does it really change my life? After I've said the amens and checked the religious box and gave my money to the church and served that church, is my life really different at all? And so I've tried to be fair with that. Every week we say we're religious but selfish. We're religious but racist. We're religious but. That's, 
It's that we're really good at doing religion in the South. Robin and I were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was riding down the street headed to school, and I counted in one mile, uh, I counted, there were over 21 churches in a one-mile radius. You would think with 21 churches in a mile radius, we would not be hurting at all in this nation. There's a church almost on every corner in Douglasville. If you don't like, you don't like it here, you just go a half mile down the road, then another mile down the road, and you can cherry pick your favorite spot to go worship and so I think we even know that when religion doesn't make us feel that good we can just go somewhere else and go to another church and call another place home nothing wrong with that but it does make you ask the question after we've done all that with a church on every corner in the deep south being the bible belt of our nation you would think that we would just be winning the battle in the south for changed lives and marriages that are working and families that are together that we wouldn't have just a litany of anxiety and brokenness and so it does make us you know at least be honest in reality it makes us have to look at statistics and say well if there's a church every mile and we're meeting every week and we're giving our money to the system do ultimately you not ask the question then why don't we really see a lot changing why does it seem like we're losing if we're really looking statistically? Brokenness still prevails. Addiction still prevails. But yet we tell everybody Jesus is the answer. So that's kind of what this has been about. How do we make Jesus so real that it changes a life? And I was praying this week about it. You know, where do we land this plane? How do we, how do we kind of just settle into what the real point of this people what is the real meaning behind it and Luke 16 came up in my heart I read Luke 16 over 30 years ago in seminary I went into seminary I really didn't know anything about the Bible I, I knew stories because I grew up in a good church they preached well and I knew the stories but I didn't really understand the Bible beyond the stories and so when I go to seminary I had to take a class on the parables of Jesus and it just blew my mind, things that I had learned that I'd never seen. And I was like, man, I just... But this was one of the parables that I landed on. And this was one of the things that just, what Chris just read, just sent my mind. Like, I don't even get it. I don't even understand. Like, is this real? Is this like... I mean, what Jesus just said, is it just a story? Is it mysticism? Is it a fable? Is it reality? And so I've wrestled with it a long time. And I thought, well, since I've wrestled with it, I might as well land the plane with it. And uh, so let's just jump in, and we'll get our feet wet, and then we'll dive in deeper. Here's the Luke 16. Jesus said, so here's my thinking. If Jesus is the one telling us the story, it lends itself that it's not a fable, it's not an object lesson, it's not a mystical thought about the spiritual world, it must be a real story. I don't think Jesus would need to tell us an object lesson. He's the one that created it all. He's the one that's been from the first to last. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. Before there was ever a thing called time, he existed. So when it says he said something, I don't think he's just telling us a story to go, dude, that was an awesome story. I think in this moment, Jesus pulls back the canvas of the eternal world. And he's going to allow us to peer and peek inside the realm of the world that exists outside of this thing we call life. It's weird, I know, that Jesus himself would take a moment to, to know what he knows out here in the eternal realm and to come into our realm and say, well, let me introduce you to something I know that you don't know and I'm going to tell you a story but it's not a story, it's a reality because I've been there and I've seen it all from the eternal realm and I want to pull back the curtain a moment and introduce you to the spirit world. And here's what he starts with. There was a certain rich man. He lived in luxury and there was a certain poor man that had sores. Jesus just dives into the story. He dives into the story with what we all really wrestle with in life. That really it is just a battle between dying rich and dying poor, having a good life, having a bad life, just trying not to get sick, just trying to go to the gym, trying to live healthy, trying to eat better, 
all the healthy things so that I don't wind up covered with sores. And yet most of the American way of life is we end up chasing the things that we want. Go get an education so you can have the house you want, the car you want, the job you want. You can have the marriage you want. And, and, and when you get rich, just make sure to remember these little people in the blue there. Remember the little poor people. They'll be the ones holding signs. They'll be the ones that are living on government assistance. They'll be the ones that can barely make ends meet. Hey, just remember them. Give them a 10. Give them a 20. Give them a, give them a sandwich. Do something to feel better about yourself. And so Jesus introduces us. Weird, I know. But he introduces us to the spectrum of life. He introduces us to, you know, he's God the Alpha and he's God the Omega. So he steps in and says, well, let me introduce you to the front end and the back end. Let me introduce you to the engine of life and the caboose of life. The engine are the rich people, those that have worked hard, those that really, their life for a car, their life for the newest of the new, the new boat, the new motorcycle, the new this, the new vacation home, the new everything. But then the caboose of life are the poor people, the people that eat by, the people who live on food stamps, the people that are homeless. The, they're all hooked up to the same train. And so, you know, that's pretty good. I, I'll give you that. I'll say most of us in this room are somewhere in the middle. But then it gets deeper. Every verse, Jesus just takes us a little deeper into this world because now he, uh, he takes me into the other world. The next verse states this. And finally the poor man died and well also the rich guy died. It, Jesus just blanket just opens the door to reality that everybody in the room is going to die. All of you. Rich people die, poor people die, happy people die, mad people die, fat people die, skinny people die, all the people die. It's not even fun to talk about. Uh, we, we call them funerals, and when we have funerals, we, we say the best we can, and then we move on, and we live life, and we try to stave off the poor man died and the rich man died. So the thing that Jesus tells us is whether you're at the front of the train or the back of the train, the train's headed to a station, and you're going to get cashed in one day. But the thing it does to me when I read this about living in the South is most people in the South don't like to talk about the cash-in of the eternal world when it doesn't include God. I often say this, you can have the most hellacious guy buried and we will preach him right into heaven. We will take, we will take Uncle, Uncle Buck and we will preach Uncle Buck right into heaven while everybody out there is like, dude, Uncle Buck made it, I know I'll make it. Because in reality, at least in the deep south, we believe in hell, but we really don't because we really would never want to think that Uncle Buck could actually be in a place without God because God is a God of mercy and God is a God of kindness. He could never let Uncle Buck. Uncle, Uncle Buck meant well. Uncle Buck had a house. Uncle Buck took care of his children. Uncle Buck was a good man. Uncle Buck had a good wife. And so Jesus opens the curtain, and when he opens the curtain, he, he tells us that it's weird, but at the end of life, there's this place of the dead and there's this place of the living. That when it's all over, you either end up with God or you end up in this place called the dead. And, and he just throws it out like a knife in the heart, like, okay, so let's talk life. Okay, great. Wherever you are on the train, great, but you're all headed this way. You're all going to die, but when you die, the train is vastly different. Because you're not all going the same way anymore. You're all at a different location. You wound up at a different port of entry. And he introduces us to one of the first times where the God that created it all pulls it back and introduces us to the place of the dead. Some people call it hell. It's debatable if it's real. Is it not? Is hell real? Is hell not real? Is there really a place called hell? If you go there, do we party? Do we get whiskey and listen to ACDC back in black? Yeah. No. We don't even know. We just, we, we just were told about it. It's terrible. Don't go there. But we don't really want to talk about it because it's just morbid. And something about the eternal God says, well, we're going to talk about this in this moment, in this time. We're going to bring everybody to a moment to where I want to talk to you about a place of the dead where people are in torment. Because even if we do think there are people in hell, we really don't ever talk about, well, what's going on there? We talk about heaven like there's angels and there's harps and there's clouds and there's grandmom and there's apple pie and there's flowers and a lot of light. 
But down there, I just, all I know is it's hot. It's a, but he says this, they're in torment. I don't think anybody here could even fathom what torment would be. The, the worst I could think, I'm trying to think on this earth, what would torment be? Imagine, you're stuck on 285. Your air conditioning doesn't work. Your windows won't roll down. It's summer. And there's a Karen behind you honking the horn. And for eternity, you're stuck in the loop. That's, that's eternity on 285. Just round and round with a woman behind you or a man. But Jesus introduces us to... As frustrating as life can be here, I'm going to pull the curtain back and I'm going to show you a place of the dead where dead people live in torment. It's just things I don't want to talk about, but it gets worse. And by worse, I mean he opens the curtain a little more. Next verse. The rich man shouted, Abraham, have some pity. Lazarus, send him over here to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in the flames. Again, if it's a fable, great, let's move on and read. But if it's Jesus introducing us into the world of the dead, it just stings too much to talk about because now what we know is that people in the world of the dead have cognitive awareness. They know people. They can feel they can see. They know names of other people. So you don't lose your identity when you die. You don't die and turn into ashes. You don't die and turn into a mist. You don't die and become something different. You don't die and become a cow. You don't die and come back as Madonna. When you die, whoever you were on the earth will ascend or descend with you. So he was rich on the earth, but he's still considered rich in the place of the dead. The only problem is now his richness in the place of the dead doesn't do anything. Meaning everything he earned on the earth has now become a moot point. It does nothing for him. But he's not just down there in this blackness of abject uncertainty and not being able to be aware of anything. Jesus opens up the world of the dead. They're very much aware. They know names of other people. They know what's going on. They can feel pain. I'm in anguish. They can feel thirst. When you die, you don't cease to exist. You move into a different world and the feelings and the pain and the emotions ascend with you. We even say it, well, grandmama's dead. Oh, she had such a hard time here on the earth. Whew, but she's in a better place now. Her pain is no more. Her sickness is no more because she's now with God. And we all clout because that is true. Because when she ascended into the realm of God, all of her pain left everything and she was brand new. But if you ascend, descend the other way, all your pain and torment follows with you. Nothing stops. Your emotions, you're still aware you're just in another world, but you're aware. You're filled with these emotions and filled with these regrets. And Jesus calls it a place of torment. But you're cognizantly aware of what's going on. Please, I'm thirsty. Would you help me out? Please, it's miserable down here. And I think for some weird reason, we think hell is just this place where the lights are off and everything's quiet and nobody gives a flip about anybody and we forgot about everybody. But as Jesus introduces us to this world, we love to talk of the heavenly world, but he introduces us to another world. And this other world, and the world I'm going to call it, is not just hell, it's the place of the dead. It's where people go that have never known God. And they're there, but they're there. And there's, here's weird. They're alive, but they're dead. They can feel, they, they, they can sense, they have emotions, they can taste, they can... They even know each other's names. He, he even has memories of what it was like on the earth because he says, hey, that dude over there is Lazarus. I knew him. They have an awareness about them. So this became my thought as I put all this together about people. 
if we, I'm including myself, really believe there is a place of eternal torment where souls can feel the pain, wouldn't it change the way we live while we're still alive? I present to you a thought. I don't think most Christians really believe in hell. I think it's just something they've told us about, and if we pray a prayer, we don't have to go there. Beyond that, it's hot, the devil lives there, and there's flames. And ACDC said there's bells there. And there's a highway going there. That's about all I know. I don't know much more about it. But I present to you most Christians don't even believe in hell. Because if we really did believe there was a place of torment where a human being might go, it logically should change the way we live. And yet it doesn't change the way we live. And maybe because the fire and preaching brimstone preachers, because we all know them, you better repent, you'll go to hell, you'll go to hell, you smoke a cigarette, you go to hell, you chew tobacco, you go to hell, drink a beer, you go to hell. Ah, everybody's going to hell. And after a while, it's like, come on, I just, if I smoke a cigarette, I go to hell. If I hell, 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 watch a movie, I go to hell, cut my hair, I go to hell, get a tattoo, I go to hell. Come on, preacher. But this isn't coming from a preacher. This was coming from the Son of God. This wasn't coming from some dude in a suit and tie that says if you get a tattoo, you're going to burn in hell. This isn't coming from some guy preaching the King James Bible to you, telling you if you smoke a cigarette, you're going to go to hell. Or if you drink a beer, you might burn in hell. Or if you listen to the wrong rock music, you might go to hell. Or if you watch a movie, you might go to hell. If you kiss a girl, you go to hell. If you kiss a boy, you go to hell. And you just go, God, everybody's going to hell. This is not that person. This is the son of the living God who peels back the curtain and he's not preaching a sermon to try to fill an altar up and he's not preaching a sermon to try to get you to become religious and get your name on a roll and pray a prayer, three little points and in Jesus' name and now you're eternally safe forever. It's God trying to pull back the canvas to tell us that we're all sucked in this world of the earth but we need to know sometimes shaken, sometimes made aware that there's another world out there and in that other world there is a place of life and there's a place of the dead people. And Jesus opens it up to us. And as I was sitting here pondering this yesterday, I even thought to myself, well, if I really believed in a hell beyond just a sermon or a topic in the Bible, wouldn't it change everything? So I kept reading. Here's the next scripture. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember, you had everything and Lazarus had nothing. It's life in general. It's life in general to be in a place of the other world and realize you had everything at your fingertips but it amounted to nothing. You had the house, you had the jobs, you had the money, you had the kids, you had everything at your fingertips, and yet it can do you no good at all, like nothing, like it just, but yet you're still connected to it. That's how strange it is. The strangeness of this is that you can literally be in the eternal world and looking at everything you had and realizing you had everything but eternally regretful that it really matters nothing anymore. And Jesus begins to just kind of, I don't say entice, but walk us into the place of the dead where there's a conversation going on between dead people. And they're having a conversation about why they're there in life and what went on while they were still alive and what was happening while they were still alive. And then tragically something happens that I think just stings more than I can even say. And it's this next verse. And the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers. And I want to warn them so they don't end up here. It tells me that in the place of the dead they're still aware of what's going on up here. And that there's dead people down there wishing that somebody would do something. My, my five, well, wait a minute, if you're dead, how would you even know your five brothers still existed if you're dead? 
If we buried you, how would you even know they exist? We know they go on because we're alive. You're dead. We buried you. We put a tombstone. Here lies Uncle Billy. Uncle Billy's dead. He's gone. He'll hopefully not be forgotten about because we'll put his picture above the fireplace and we'll talk about him every Christmas, but he's gone. But in Billy's world, in Billy's world, in the place of the dead, Uncle Billy's down there. And my belief is what Jesus showed us. He's cognitive, aware of every relationship he's ever had. And he's like, would somebody go tell my wife and my children and my cousins and my uncles, oh my God, would somebody please just wake up and go tell them? I don't want them to come here. I have regrets. I'm in torment. It is miserable. But out of my misery, would somebody please wake up and go tell somebody? It's not even a conversation to think that dead people are literally in torment of their loved ones who were left behind here. We talk about, oh, they're dying and oh, they're down in hell. The weird thing is this guy's in the place of the dead tormented about you who are still alive. Please, God, don't let, please go to my brothers. There's that awareness. Please go to my five brothers. There's the understanding he had a real life. Please send somebody to tell him. There's the understanding I have deep regret. Please send somebody to tell him. There's the understanding that I made choices I wish I would have never made. But if there would be people that could wake up and go do something for my brothers. I just don't want them to end up in a place of torment. It's more than a sermon now. It's more than a preacher now. It's a guy that's already in the place of the dead begging for people to do something. Yeah, but really, here's, here's the thought. I mean, and I wrote this last night watching the parades. Do I really care about five random strangers? They're not my brothers. I don't have time for them. I don't have time. You, you don't understand how big I, I, I'm religious. But I don't have time to go warn a soul that I don't even know. Here's this dude begging, please send somebody. And he's like, I'll send Mark. And I'm like, yeah, look, look, I love people. I'm not kidding. I love people. Random strangers, that's awkward. I, listen, I want to tell you how good I am. I'm going to show you. I give extra when I tip people. Because I'm a Christian. I don't give 10, 20. I'll sometimes give 50. I will sometimes even leave a $100 bill as a tip to bless them so that they will know how special Christians are. And then last night watching the Braves, I thought, what if the dudes that bring me salsa, who know my name, who have my Diet Coke ready before I sit down, who bring me churi queso before I order it, and I sit down, and they mark us, and they bring me my stuff, they set it down and we knuckle it up and we share tattoos with each other and we talk about the braids and we talk about life. And hey, could I get some more chips? These are kind of cold. Hey, could you bring me some more jalapeno crushed puree? Yes, thank you. My Diet Coke's a little flat. Could I get one that's got some burn in it? Thank you so much. And then when my bill comes, I put on there, yeah, bless you, brother, and I give extra. And then I reach in my pocket and I handshake one of them a $20 bill. And then I see him over there at the fitness center working out. We knuckle each other and I think, yeah, I'm going to bless him. Another 20. Love you guys, man. Thank you. And then one of them passes. And because I'm religious, I thought my extra tip was what he needed. I thought him understanding Christians are not all bad. We give more than non-Christians. I thought because I was always nice to him and he was nice to me, we never needed to talk about the place of the dead. It's just too, ugh. But could you imagine one of your best friends there and, dude, Mark. I had a friend of mine named Jim in college. We were best friends in high school. Jim and I went our different ways. I started serving God and Jim 
didn't, and we just kind of parted. But I saw Jim about my second year of college. He was coming down the street. I saw him coming down the sidewalk, and I was headed, and I thought, there he is. I hadn't seen him in a while. And I heard something in my heart. Mark, tell Jim that I love him. And I was like, oh, God, I just don't want to tell Jim that. It's so awkward. And Jesus loves you. Duh. So he walked up. And I said, hey, bro, hey, man, just before you knuckled it up, we did the whole fist thing, bump, and how you doing, how you doing, great, great, man, I hadn't seen you in a while, I know. I said, Jim, I said, man, I just want to tell you, Jesus loves you, and he can change your life. His exact words were, <laughs> okay, Mark, yeah, all right, right, and just walked off. Two days later, Jim was killed in a car wreck. I don't know if Jim knows Jesus. I don't know if Jim ended up in the eternal realm with God or the eternal realm of the dead. I'm not God. I don't know. But I wonder how many people could be in the eternal realm of the dead because they walked right by me and I never did a thing. And they're down there going, My God, Mark! There's more to life than a new guitar. There's more to life than you having a banjo page. There's more to life, Mark, than Alabama being the best football team ever. There's more to life. What are you doing, Mark? How could you know me as your best friend and you never said a dad blame thing? You never told me a thing. You worked with me every day. You went to school with me. You mean to tell me you believed in this eternal life and you never told me? Would you get off your high horse, Mark, and go tell my sister not to come here? Would you quit whining about everything has to be about you because you're some narcissistic dude and get up and go work to tell my brother he doesn't want to come here? My God, Mark, would you quit whining about your church? You're always looking for the perfect place. Shut up and go do something. It's not about you, Mark. And that's not a preacher. It's what I see is going on. When Jesus pulls back the curtain, it's what I see going on, that there's a place of the dead where they're begging for you and I to do something about it. I don't have time to do something about it. I don't even know them. They're probably losers anyway. I don't have time with them. They probably just need money or something. They're probably just coming to whine. I don't have time. Who knows? Today they may shoot me. They may mug me. I don't know. I don't know them. I'm not responsible for them. It's not my responsibility. No accountability at all. I don't even know if the girl in the left cup corner is even going to go to hell or not. I don't know. Don't care. Don't know her. I'm struggling just to keep up with my own life. I'm struggling just to raise my children, much less that hell is asking me to do them a favor. And so if I, if I took away and I redid the slide and I put all the people you work with up there, I put your cousins, your best friend, your girlfriend, your uncle, your brother, your sister, and I, I changed the faces, would it make it any more meaningful? Because you already know them now. And the question would be, do you know where they would end up if they died? If your brother ended up in the eternal world, my brother Gary, Mark, why didn't you even tell me anything? Well, Gary, I was praying for you. And I was just asking the Lord to give you a dream or something. Wake you up in the middle of the night and tell you hell's hot. My brother's born again, by the way. But just for the sake of the show. Right? I just want you to know, I know it's hot down there, Gary. And I know you're eternally tormented. But I prayed for you every night. I said my prayers and asked God to bless you. You never said a word to me, though? You never called me on the phone and said, hey, there's another place out there that's really... Because isn't that what you believe, Mark? You're a preacher, Mark. Isn't that what you believe? Well, yeah, Gary, but I didn't want to offend you. And I don't really want you mad at me. And plus, you call me Big Fat Redneck, so. <laughs> Is that how it's going to go? 
It made me think, I wonder how many people are, could be in the place of the dead that worked with me, knew me, lived by me, but I never said a word. They passed the life, and now they're one or the other. I don't know, but it sure did make me wonder. I wonder if there's anybody in the place of the dead looking up going, Dude, could, could somebody not tell other people not to come here? And yet here we sit as religious people. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's raining. Probably not going today. I mean, I kind of read my Bible. I give my money. I, I'm a good person. You know I'm good. I, I'm a good person. Do you know what? I gave a $20 bill to a homeless guy. I'm good. I mean, I really am. Like, I don't even have... Somebody came by the other day gave him $100. Praise me. Right? <laughs> I mean, I say that because that's the way I've done it. I've done it that way. It makes me feel better about me. It makes me feel better that I helped someone on the caboose end of this train. But I never told them that the, the, the engine and the caboose all hit the same place. And when they hit the same place, there is a somebody's going to pay the bill. Years ago, my mom and dad used to travel and they would go all over the place and uh, go to ministry conferences. And so they took me and my brother. Imagine that. That was before there was Ridlin. <laughs> they were probably too scared to leave us home by ourselves. We would have destroyed the place. We were boys in the 70s. And so they took us to California. What a noble job from Alabama to California. And they, all they wanted to do was just go to conference meetings all day and get the boys out of their hair. So they said to my older brother, we're going to leave you all alone. While we're in the conference meeting, here's a room key. If you need anything, you just go down to the restaurant and show them the room key. My brother found out that that room key was connected to milkshakes. <laughs> he came back and said, that restaurant has milkshakes. I was like, milkshakes? Well, then I am still kind of have the same gift. I was pudgy. He's skinny. I was the pudgy. So you tell a pudgy kid there's milkshake, it's like Disney World. He said, Mark, all we have to do is go down there and ask for milkshakes and show them this key and we get milkshakes. I'm like, this is amazing. I, I don't really understand the value of money and all of that. I just know it. Show a key, get a milkshake. What fat kid wouldn't do that? And not one milkshake a day. No, sister. Not two. No. All you got to do is show a card. Pudgy people. Three, four milkshakes a day. What'd you have for breakfast? Milkshake. What'd you have for a snack? Milkshake. How'd you pay for it? We didn't. We just showed them this. You get free milkshakes. As like a crack addict. I was like, this is amazing. As wonderful as it was in that moment of my life, living in the locomotive of luxury, I did not know that that train was soon to hit the station and somebody had to pay the bill. And his name was called Dad. <laughs> For my dad goes to check out, unbeknowing that his children had been buying 20 milkshakes a day, not buying them, just showing a key. It was not a good day for me and my brother. I don't even remember how much it was. I just remembered it was hundreds of dollars of milkshakes because it was hotel milkshakes. That's like a $9 milkshake. I, I will tell you this, my father was smart enough, A, to never take us on a trip, and B, never give us another key. <laughs> but he paid the price for our luxury. And I will say that as Christians, we use God for our luxury, but when the train hits the station, somebody pays the bill. Somebody pays the bill. And if the bill cannot be paid by a wonderful father who paid the price, then all those people whose train has ended end up in a place of the dead where they know your name, they remember they worked with you, they remember they went to school with you, they remember you were their neighbor, they remember everything. And they simply beg for somebody that's still alive to do something to help people not come here. It brings me to this. 
The rich man said, please, I put it in red. I put it in red for a reason. Because it's not the devil praying the prayer. It's not Jesus praying the prayer. It's a soul that is in the place of the dead that's praying a prayer. And I wrote this thought last night. Will you become the answer to hell's prayers? It's It's a weird thought that hell would actually pray because we would think it's a place of just, and it is, torment and misery, but... We like to think of once it's there, you're there, you're out of sight, out of mind, and it's all the people who rejected God, but we don't understand it's cousins and uncles and brothers and neighbors and sisters and friends and loved ones that are there. So let's don't defame hell and just put it as a bunch of strangers. It's your brother, it's your child, it's your son, it's your daughter, it's your mother, it's your cousin, it's your uncle, it's the dude you've worked with, it's the boss that's been paying you a paycheck for 30 years. So at least Jesus has personalized hell, which is really weird. Don't make it personal. If it's personal, I'm responsible. I don't want to be responsible. I want heaven to be personal. Grandmama's there. Aunt so-and-so's there. Uncle, Uncle Billy's there. My friends are there. When you die, we can all go there and we can have a party and we can eat lamb chops and sit around the table with Jesus. I personalize that, but I depersonalize this. And Jesus pulls the carpet back to say both are very real and both are very potentialities of where you could end up. And you have emotions here and emotions there and cognitive awareness here and cognitive awareness there. And he wakes everybody up of the thing he wakes us up to, which is just weird, is that people in the place of the dead are begging you to do something. Think how strange it is. We beg God, God, I don't ask for a lot, but if you could just give me that new car. God, I don't ask for a lot, but if you could just help me in my life. God, I don't ask for a lot, but I need that job. God, you know, man, I'm good. I I need that house. I, I need you to come through for me. God, I need that raise. God, I need my back healed. Nothing wrong with any of that. But don't you think it's strange that I'm praying, God, God, here, fill this pocket. God, heal this. God, do this for me. While the people in the place of the dead are like, somebody! Think about more than your house, more than your car, more than your back. Could you, for one minute, just think about souls that are out there that are going to end the train and are going to come here. Please, somebody tell somebody. And as I thought about that last night, it just, it just I'm not saying I'm past my own test here, but it's like, yeah, I don't know if I've done well with that. I don't know if I've done well that the people I know, I've been bold to say, hey, man, do you believe in eternal life? I sure don't want to get into the other world and to, I don't know, I mean, I have my opinions, but To be able to see into the other world and see into this world. And we're in the spirit world and we can see. I don't know how well I would do to look down and go, Hey Jim, it's me. It's Mark. It's me. I made it. I didn't have time to talk with you because that day I saw you, I was really embarrassed. I didn't want to say anything. And I was on my way to take a class. And I had a test. Look, I'm really sorry. Hey, honey. Is it? Isn't that the guy I worked with for 20 years? Yeah, it looks like him. Hey, Johnny, it's me. Huh? Oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I mean, no, you had this policy where we were not allowed to talk about things. And so I couldn't say anything because I didn't want to break a policy. So I'm sorry. I know, God, I know it's miserable. He looks miserable. But I was busy, and well, you didn't hire me to be a missionary. You hired me to work for you. I appreciate the checks you paid me. And the company truck, dude, shout out to you. And it really makes us wonder, is this just all a parable of Jesus, or was he pulling back the curtain to allow us to see deeper into what's really going on? Here's Jesus's. I'll end with this. This is weird. 
This is Jesus now. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them, all the people that are still alive, all the people that haven't ended up in a place of the dead yet. And they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to his disciples, look, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray that I would send more workers. And now the reality is, heaven is praying for workers. Hell is praying for workers. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to work. I just want to sit down and I just want him to come get me because I hate this God-forsaken place. I don't want to work. And I thank God. I mean, it's my opinion. I think God's like up there as a dad going, Blooming kids, get out of my basement. Quit eating everything for free. You're mature enough. Get up. Quit playing your video games and asking me to do everything for you. Get out of my basement and go get a job. Work for the harvest. And, and yeah, it's like, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to work, Dad. I just want you to give me a car and insurance and education and a house and girlfriend and my knees hurt. I just want you to let me get to work on time and not hit a traffic jam. <laughs> Don't make me move out. Right? But you've got a 30-year-old kid in your basement. It's like, my God, son. I'm not talking about my own. I mean, he... I mean reality, right? I was, Robin and I were out last night eating. Big sign on the door. Need help. Need a cook. Need workers. Nobody wants to work anymore. I'm not talking about for the harvest. I'm just talking about the concept to work. And even Jesus is like, dude, it ain't a problem in 2021. It's a problem back when I was alive. I was asking for workers when I was here. Everybody wants to follow me and have free bread, free wine. They found out I gave free wine away. Everybody wants me at their wedding now. Hey. I mean, even Jesus is praying for workers. So weird. Hell's praying for you to get a job and work for the harvest. Jesus is praying for workers. Where have we gone wrong in the South? Full of, oh, this sounds rude. I'm in with you. Lazy people, religious people, whiny people, bad people. You've been to nine churches, not won one soul to God. But you're happy. Finally found me another church. Yeah, but 42 people have gone to the place of the dead because you're out here hunting for churches rather than souls. It's what we do in the South. Well, I didn't like the music. They probably didn't like you either. So It's not that... I don't, I don't want you to go home thinking I'm upset. I just thought I have to land this plane. And the only way I know how to land it is we need workers. And I'm not talking about to go over to the nursery and help us. That's a chore. We need you. I'm talking about when you bust out that door and you go to your job and you don't work for the harvest, a soul could wind up in the place of the dead begging people to come because you kept your mouth shut. And I don't want to lose it. So here's what the conclusion was. Confused and helpless people abound. Yes or no? Yep. And they're headed toward an eternal torment if they don't know God. Hell is begging you to work. And Jesus is praying you will work. There's no excuse, I think, and I judged myself last night. I just don't think there's any excuse about why the people you work with, hang out with, play with, go to school with, that wait on you at your favorite restaurant that they would not maybe know that there is an eternal life. And I'm not asking you to wear the t-shirts everywhere you go, you're sick shooting souls into heaven. <laughs> There's a few people like that. It's okay. I'm just asking, are you willing to work? And one day, you may be walking down the same hall you always go to, and but this day, whew, God says, right there, I need you to say something because I've been working on that boy. And in that moment, would you just remember this message and go, oh, God, want me to work. I better work. 
Would you just be willing for that conversation? Would you just be willing to say, Lord, if you want to use me, use me? Would you just wake up and go, God, all right, God, I'm going to go to work, but I'm willing to work. I'm going to go to my job, but I want you to know I'm willing to work. Anybody you see, God, that's on a, on a precipice of eternal life, you send them my way, I'll say something. And you're not even responsible for their choices. You're just responsible to let them know that there's an end coming and there is a choice. So here's communion as we get ready. Five people are counting on you. He said, I have five brothers. That's weird. But I just, I don't know if this is true or not, but I did think about it. I hadn't had time to parse it out biblically, but mentally I parsed it. We would do well if everybody in the room just won five souls before you died. If everybody in this room won five people to Jesus for the eternal realm before you passed earth, you had five. I love what a lady said to me today. She said, I tell you what, I'm not leaving earth without my five. Well, if we all did that, just five, not a hundred, not a thousand, not a Billy Graham, not a Reinhardt Bonnke, just in the next 20, 30 years of you being on the planet, I'm going to find those five brothers and they ain't going to hell because of me. I think if we just live that way, that people are counting on you. And without a goal, we perish. Without a goal, there's no responsibility. Without a goal, there's no accountability. So I just thought, well, if, if Jesus said there were five brothers, then let's just make it a goal. Five people on this earth are counting on you for an eternal destiny. Before you pass earth, would you be willing to work and figure out where those five are and say, God, use me? And we make it make a difference. Here's how it happens. You have to own your 50 feet. It's not my job to own your 50. It's your job. I can own my 50 at Monterey, but if you eat somewhere else, you need to own your 50. And if you're at West Georgia, if you're at Georgia Tech, if you own your 50. You got a job, you own your... If you own your 50 and 5, I own my 50 and 5, we make a big, big difference. Your friends, your relatives, the people you work with, you just have to be willing to tell it and willing to work. Stand up and let's pray. I hope that blessed you a little bit. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.